Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. going to be one hot streaming summer it's episode 323 of the down and nerdy podcast i'm james with i say that because it seems like every time i turn around there's something new from a streaming service and yeah we talked about netflix is the order not too long ago I gave my review the first half of the se- half of the season how about we dive back in to that show with a couple of the stars that's right larisa tronco is joining me this week of course she plays gabrielle dupree on the show also if that's not all we got Jack Morton. That's right. Jake Manley stops by to talk about season two. The both of them giving us some very, very juicy details about season two. A little bit of a spoiler alert for these interviews, by the way. There is a little bit of spoiler-ish stuff if you haven't watched season two of The Order. Of course, make sure you go back, listen to my interview with Abigail Shapiro as well, who plays Dorothy on Doom Patrol special edition interview that went up on Wednesday. If you haven't listened to that yet, go over on any of our podcast feeds, actually. And check that out. And of course, at downandnerdypodcast.com. It's been a busy few weeks of the Down and Nerdy Podcast and a busy show once again this week. So let's get to it. Let's talk about some comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is April Bowlby from DC's Doom Patrol, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're bagging and boarding or browsing and downloading whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And how about I jump in to a very American book. It's 4th of July weekend, so how about All America Comics number one from Image Comics? Joe Casey teaming up once again with Dustin Wynn. That's always a good combo. Brad Simpson doing the colors here and Russ Wooten on the letters. Now, this is the story of America Vasquez. Now, if you read this book, you're going to get serious America Chavez vibes, and that's probably because Joe Casey was one of the creators of America Chavez from Marvel Comics, but totally... Not like her, but like her is how I would kind of describe America Vasquez in this story. Now, what we get to see what she can do and what she's doing to help in the community and around the world, actually, in this book. We also get to see some other very familiar looking heroes and some other villains as well that may or may not look familiar to you. The villains didn't look as familiar as the heroes did. Not all of them anyway. I could I could tell you that much right now. It's 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 one of those things where you can look at it and say, yeah, it's not exactly exactly it, but I can definitely see where you're going with this. So then things get a bit weird though after this initial uh, the first half of the issue is very much that uh, that introduction and some some interesting stuff that happens. And things get weird after that and it leads to America to see something and experiencing something very life-altering. Now, that changes the story from being about her own identity as a hero to a greater issue. Now, I'm not saying that there won't be any more of that, her her identity being a hero, but there's this suddenly got violently shoved into, oh, okay, so there's something pretty big that's going to need to be dealt with. Now, there's a lot of character building in this book, and that's definitely a good thing. We know exactly what America is all about. The question is, is if when you're reading this, is if you're either hooked on the character or on the cliffhanger that you get at the end. This is one of those books you're either going to be hooked or you're not going to be hooked by what you've seen. Now, there's no question, though, that the art was good. I mean, Dustin Wynn's involved 
anytime I see his name attached to a book, I'm not worried about what the art's going to look like inside. There was actually like, there were several pages of this book that were just art. And it was during the weird part that I mentioned. And it was breathtaking. There are a few pages in that sequence that were just stunning. You couldn't take your eyes off of it. That's what Dustin Wynn does. Now, the one thing that was interesting to me in this book, what we usually have is an inner monologue or the narration of the story was actual like social media posts, or that's what it looked like. And there were hashtags involved and everything like that. And, and at first I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is different. But it happens a lot throughout the book. Kind of got old for me a little bit. Personal preference. I mean, maybe that's something that, that you'll like and say, oh, this is cool. This works. And I'm not saying I didn't want it to be there at all. You need that you know, narration or internal monologue to be there at some point. It's just the way it was presented and the hashtag stuff. It just got a little old for me because I'm like, is this because then it makes me wonder, like, is this actually being posted or is this just for our benefit? I don't know what's going on. Maybe that's nitpicking, but it just it's one of those things that just got a little old for me. It didn't alter the story for me at all. It just got old seeing that after a while. Now, it'll be interesting, though, to see how America grows as a hero now that she's been kind of brought back down to earth, there she's she comes across as a little bit, I don't want to say bulletproof, but almost like she doesn't think anything bad can happen to her sort of thing. And then when something kind of does, it changes her a little bit. And I'm curious to see how much of an effect of what happened to her in this first issue will carry over into future stories. So I'm not quite sure. I can't quite put my finger on how I feel about this book just yet. I'd say I'd meet it middle of the road and give it maybe a three out of five. But this is one of those things where, again, this that's just my personal preference. It's one of those things where if you love this character right off the bat and you love that fearlessness out of her, then you'll probably love this book a little bit more than I did. So go ahead and check it out for yourself. Let me know what you thought of it as well. This is another book that I've been wanting to jump into back into for a while now and i figured issue 12 was as good a time as any it's ronan island from boom studios greg pock of course writing this one and giannis milagianis on the art and irma nivila and irma irma i'm sorry if i butchered your name there simon boland on the letters now greg pock i i got to talk to him about this book at WonderCon last year and you should just see him light up when he talks about ronan island it's it's just you can tell Greg Pox put everything he's had he had into this story. Now, if you've been following the story, you know that the fight for the island is on in full force in issue 12. And Hana and Kenichi right there in the center of it, either on the offense or the defensive, depending on your perspective when you're reading this book. Now, the Bionin monsters have a big surprise for the Islanders, and it could mean some really big trouble it's one of those moments where you look at it and you go are you kidding me this is what's happening okay that's that's definitely not the best now we meanwhile on just offshore there's another threat just kind of looming there and sitting there it's like really you need one more thing that you need to deal with now you know who the bandits are if you if you've been reading this story if you haven't i'm not going to spoil any of this for you now they make a very risky move though that changes the battle significantly and it you know it's almost like the you know you got to shift your strategy when certain things happen and this was a strategy shifting kind of moment and that wasn't the only risky move that happens in this battle here's the thing you're looking for okay i'm getting along in these pages here are am i going to actually find out 
what the payoff is. Yes, you will find out what the payoff is. You're actually going to get the aftermath and conclusion in this issue as well, and I will not spoil that. But I will say this, as somebody who's been reading this series from the beginning, watching Kenichi and Hana grow since the first issue has been very, very rewarding. You want to talk about being hooked on characters ever since they were kind of vying for being the top warrior in the on the island from the moment that these two came on the page I was hooked on these two characters I just loved the way that they that they're presented the way this book comes full circle too in this issue is a really nice reward for longtime readers and that did not go unnoticed by me and again I'm not going to spoil what that is exactly none of this is possible though without the just stunning visuals from Giannis Milagianis. I mean, that's another thing you kind of come to expect from, from Giannis. And I've, I've seen that in other books as well. But, I mean, what we get here with Ronan Island really helped cement the charm of these characters and just the island itself. And especially that full circle moment that I talked about, you can't have that impact without a great artist. Ronan Island has been a five out of five book for me from the beginning. This is one of those books where if they do a collected hardcover at some point, you're going to want this on the shelf. You absolutely 100% are going to want Ronan Island on your shelf. This is not one that you want to miss out on. If you haven't read it yet, go back and read the back issues. You won't be sorry that you did. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Time to get to part one of our two interviews about Netflix is the order. We'll talk to Luisa Tronco next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lila Jalavera from Netflix's Lock and Key, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Really quickly before we get started with the interview, just a spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen season two of The Order on Netflix. We do get into a little bit of spoiler territory here, so, so just be ready for that. Now, my interview with Luisa Tronco. I got to tell you guys, I was so excited for season two of The Order to come out on Netflix, especially how good season one was and that cliffhanger that we had. So season two is finally here, and I thought, who better to get on to talk about this thing than Miss Gabrielle Dupree herself? It's Larisa Tronco. Larisa, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, Larisa, last time we talked at Comic-Con, which seems like forever ago, you you all had really just gotten started with the process of season two, so... How did it feel to finally have that season come out this past week? You know, it's been great. The fans have really responded to season two. A lot of the responses that I've been getting, especially for Gabrielle, is that they actually like her. (laughs) Imagine Um, that, right? (laughs) I know, I know. Well, just because I guess like in season one, you know, she did a lot of things that were questionable and um, I think she really redeemed herself in season two. What do you think really brought on that change in her, too? Because I felt the same way. It's like she's really evolved throughout season two, and it just seemed to happen so naturally. What do you think the catalyst was for that, really? Honestly, great writing. They, the writers really gave me a gift for Gabrielle, just like as an actor as well, because she's so multidimensional. And the fact that, you know, this season you get to figure, you get to see her past a little bit more and kind of an explanation of sort of the way that she is and why she has a difficult time opening up to people. I think people really get to see that, especially in episode 10. So as an actor, it's a dream come true. Now, speaking of Comic-Con, you said something when we were talking during during our interview there 
that you thought the show was mostly a comedy, and and everybody at the table kind of laughed at the time. You fast forward to season two, and it feels like that comedy's actually taken up a few notches. So do you kind of like feel vindicated? Was that the plan all along? What was going on there? I mean, honestly, I it's funny because you mentioned that because right before season two came out, like a week before, I rewatched season one, and it has it's been like a year since I've seen it. And I was watching it, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe I went around Comic-Con saying that this was a comedy. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I I was like, I can't believe it. I was like, I just kept, like, beating myself up over and over again. I was like, I can't believe I just went around saying this was a comedy. Hey, I defended um, you. You did. You know what? You did. At least one person did. But, yeah, like, sort of the rest of the table was like, um, are you sure? <laughs> and I think <laughs> I think it's just mostly because my character specifically, I think mine and Randall, Adam DeMarco's character, Randall, uh, we, we get like the comedy of it, like the blanket on top of like this teen drama and the horror. But yeah, overall, it's just really funny that you mentioned that because it just, uh, it was literally a couple weeks ago that I was like, I can't believe I said that at Comic-Con. Well, now it, it all makes sense. So you, so now you're good. Now you're yeah. absolutely good. <laughs> now right now, yeah. There you go. Now, speaking of last season, actually, the threat to the order was kind of largely internal with Edward Coventry. I mean, there were some other things, but it was largely internal. So how was it to not just have one, but actually many new external threats this season? Oh, yes. Um, With like the Sons of Prometheus and, you know, with Alyssa going rogue from the order, there's Mm -hmm. definitely a lot of new characters to be introduced. And I think it just kind of opens like the world of magic up a bit more and, and showing that, you know, even though this story obviously obviously centers the Order and the werewolves, there are other groups that we may or we may not know about. Yeah, definitely. And actually, it's funny that you mention Alyssa because it's no secret, you know, Gabrielle and Alyssa don't get along. They never really have. And while that may never fully go away, there was a glorious moment between the two of you. I think it was in episode seven. So how did you feel when you first read that scene, and how much fun was that to shoot? Which scene specifically are you talking about? I, I just keep thinking about when Alyssa punches me. So. <laughs> well, that wasn't glorious for you. Maybe for her, but not so much yeah. for you. Uh, no, the karaoke scene. Oh, the ca- yes, of course. Yeah, no, it was, it was really cool. It was basically like our Netflix rep, uh, Chris, our executive producer, he was like, the girls can sing. We should figure out how to incorporate that somehow. And our uh, creator, Dennis, was trying to figure out a way how to sort of seamlessly bring it in. And he was like, well, the girls can sing, but we, we didn't, he didn't really want to make it like a musical episode or anything like that. Um, he kind of wanted to keep true to the tone of the show. And of course, you know, with like a teen drama, there, there has to be some sort of like party scene. No doubt. Otherwise, it's not college, right? We're in college. There you go. So, and it just so happens that, you know, there's a karaoke machine there. So it was a lot of fun because we got to, you know, have like some voicing coach for it. And we sang actually live on that day. Wow. Yeah, it was really, it it was really interesting because we sang live, but also we were the only ones, me and Sarah were the only ones who could hear the music. They gave us Aeneas to listen to the music so sound can record our singing properly. Mm -hmm. So just imagine the fact that we're singing to like a hundred extras and nobody else can hear the music. That's awesome. And it's just your voices. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a day for sure. 
You get you know that you guys are gonna get bombarded about this episode now, right? Now they're gonna want you to sing all the time. I hope you realize that. <laughs> and that's okay. We we enjoy it, so we are here for it. Absolutely. We're talking to Larisa Tronco. Of course, why is Gabrielle Dupree on Netflix is The Order, which all episodes are available to stream right now on Netflix. Now, Larisa, you got to spend a lot of time with Jack, especially early on in this season. What was the most interesting part about that dynamic for you? Well, I think it's it was really fun because, A, Jake is just a great scene partner to begin with, and B, just like the whole uh, comedy that comes with sort of pretending to be in this relationship that they both actually don't want to be in at all Mm -hmm. was really, really interesting. And towards the end, when I got to go head to head with him as a werewolf was definitely one of my highlights this season. Now, I think that it almost kind of goes unnoticed. It's, It's actually very low key that how Gabrielle helps both the order and the Knights at some at one point or another throughout the season so i mean once it's all said and done where do you think her loyalties really lie or does she not have any ah that is a good question i i i don't think she knows to be quite honest and i think that kind of reflects uh on the writing with jack and gabrielle attending an ethics class throughout the like the entire season mm-hmm. they're she's sort of trying to deal with her own moral compass and what that means to her of you know, serving the order or serving the werewolves and sort of finding, trying to find a family that she fits in with, essentially. Do you feel like it's hard for her, too? Because I feel like she's a, she's an alpha that's constantly forced to be a beta. And do you think that kind of frustrates her a little bit? I think so. I, I think, you know, there's a line that I say, or I think it's like one of the werewolves, either uh, Randall or Hamish, they're like, you're a little, you're like a little sister, something like that. And Mm -hmm. she doesn't like that. You know, she wants to be, you know, not the little sister, but like a sister or like just even part of the past. I think that does frustrate her because I think she has a lot to offer and she has a lot of energy and anger that's built up that could be for good use. And I just feel like she's having a hard time steering that. Do you feel like that that if we don't get the proper channel for that at some point, she's just going to burst and it could go the go the other way? I hope not, but I can definitely see her kind of uh, sort of going uh, not rogue, but I can see her exploding in some sort of capacity if if she doesn't find a family that she that could kind of help her. I think she has a lot. I think she has a lot of stuff to unpack. I just want to know what would happen if somebody called her Gabby, because I can't imagine that would go over well. Well, actually, Jack does. That's the, true. That, that's first, true. You're right. Um, <laughs> you know, when he's wearing, uh, he's wearing like an I Love Gabby shirt. Um, and that's it's, like, right. I totally uh, forgot like, about my that. Face on right. it. <laughs> yeah. And he wakes up and he goes, oh, Gabby. And uh, I think Jake actually just threw that in there on the day. And it was just. <laughs> See, so he knows. He uh, yeah, knows. He that's, that's, a, that's a boyfriend move right there. That is a boyfriend move, yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. Now, Larisa, I got to tell you, I've always loved how creative the writers are. You talked about that, but I, I didn't realize that they were clairvoyant as well. How crazy was it, honestly, looking back now, that you all ended up having a quarantine episode that actually needed social distancing? Right, yeah. That was, it's funny, because when I was watching that, I, I when we were filming that, obviously it was before the pandemic. So course, it was yeah. like, oh, it's this magical creature, um, this like parasite sort of thing. And then watching it now, I was like, wow, <laughs> what what like a foreshadowing scene or episode. 
it was a bit uncomfortable to watch, to be quite honest. No doubt, me. yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. How did you feel about watching it? It was weird because my reaction was almost like, you're kidding, right? Like, like how did, how right. on earth, and then when, when, I think it was Vera said, you guys need to stay away from each other. I'm like, really? And, I, <laughs> and, and then one, somebody else says, I, you know, you can't just quarantine us. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Come on. This is unbelievable how, yeah, how relevant I, this actually is right now. I know. I was waiting for someone to pull out a mask or something. Right, but, exactly. Well, yeah, you guys was... have them, though. That's just it. <laughs> All right. You have them in the big in the big wigs in the in the in the in the meeting. They were wearing them at the time. Well, until yeah. they took them off, and that yeah. didn't work out for them, did it? No, and they didn't decide to share with us. I guess. No, we that's just, the other like, thing. Oh. By ourselves with the parasites. And, yeah. and then they lock you guys in that room <laughs> together. I'm sure that was really helpful too. I just thought that the, it was, it was yeah, just, right. It was, it was interesting because you know it's towards the end of the season too, and and you don't make that connection of okay, this was probably filmed a year ago, and and, and all of a sudden yes. it's completely relevant, and and it, it you you could look at it either way. It either couldn't work out better, or couldn't work out worse. Either way, it works. No, completely. That's just so, that's so funny that you caught that. I was like, which one are you talking about? But no, completely. I remember I remember watching, and I was like, wow, this is so relevant without us. I, I don't think they were trying to make it relevant. It was like no. last year, so you would <laughs> never want that to be relevant ever, and yet here we are, and, no, and it no. just it worked out. Uh, so let's fast forward past that a little bit, and let's look at season three. We don't know whether or not there's going to be a season three for sure, but if there is, where would you like to see things go, especially for Gabrielle specifically? You know, the, the writers really surprised me every single episode uh, just every single time I, I read a new episode or a new block I, I just always ask myself like I can't like how are they able to let me do this like I can't believe they they let me do this every single time but if I had to choose or I if I got to choose I would probably say I would like to see Gabrielle bond with the women more Ooh. I think she has a hard time bonding with Alyssa and Vera and mm. Lilith and I don't know what that's about but she seems to be opening up to you know Randall and Hamish a little bit more but for some reason there's always this sort of wall in front of her whenever she speaks to another woman. That, that, that would be good I'd like to see that too. Before I let you go Larisa we know that Gabrielle's all about the fashion she likes to look good so did you have like a favorite look in this season that you can remember like this this is awesome i love this mm-hmm. there is there's two outfits actually and they're both like in the orange realm there's like an orange jumper and sort of buttoned up as like a onesie i think it was in episode two and then there's another one the episode where we are where, where i tell the the boys to take the take my ethics test yep. and it's sort of like an off-the-shoulder top um i thought that looked really cute Nice. Also, wearing Randall's clothes was a good change, too, because it was su- they were super comfy when it got to play Randall as Gabrielle. I loved um, that episode. I and, loved and, that so much. Yeah. <laughs> me, too. It was a lot of fun. I got to wear his sweatsuit, and my, the shoes were way too big for me, but they didn't have my size. So it just looked like I had really, really big feet with my, por- with my portion of my body. And it was just, like, it was fun because it was just, like, comfy, and I could dance in it. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> That is just a fraction of the amazing things you can see on Season 2 of Netflix's The Order. You can stream all the episodes now. Even if you, even if you haven't seen Season 1 yet, you can just binge it all in a weekend. Highly recommended if you haven't done that because you got to see Gabrielle Dupree, guys. It's Larissa Tronco. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is Flash Gordon, Sam Jones, and you are listening to 
the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The Heroes in the Half Shell are about to get another crack at it. It's time for nerd news. And yep, you heard me right. A new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie reboot is in the works. And this time, of course, this is according to Deadline. And it's going to be a CG animated movie this time. Remember, the last time they did a CG animated movie was back in 2007. It was one movie. I thought it was pretty good. Didn't quite pan out though but here's the here's the difference this time it's still going to be distributed by paramount but seth rogan's point gray pictures is actually going to be involved in this latest iteration you got evan goldberg and james weaver producing and jeff rowe who did gravity falls and connected is going to direct and brendan o'brien who did neighbor neighbor sorority rising of all things is going to write the screenplay now whether or not you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing i'll leave up to you all i know is that all this sounds pretty adult. You know what I mean? And, and there's no, there's nothing about the, 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 the theme of this movie or anything like that. There are no indications on how this movie is going to be presented. But again, you, you kind of want something at this point that's a mixture between something that can be enjoyed by adults and something that can be, can be enjoyed by kids. You know, you got you to gotta have that fine line when you're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And there's no release date on this either, by the way, which is smart. I think that movie release dates just shouldn't even happen right now. Until we're sure we can actually have movies, we really need to stop having movie release dates unless the movie's already done. And even if it is, you know, it's still not a sure thing at this point. But I think this is actually pretty interesting. I think that this is something that, I think again, I'm going to go to, the, to Spider-Man to the, into the Spider-Verse and how successful and critically acclaimed that was it made more movie studios go you know what maybe an animated movie is the way to go here and for ninja turtles why wouldn't you do that because i mean it's not like animated movies don't have big budgets but think of all the things that you can do in an animated movie that you could do a lot cheaper than you would in a live action movie and casting is a little bit easier i would think for an animated movie, right? I and, and who knows wh- who this movie is going to involve. I kind of hope that we're not going to... It's called a reboot, sure. I hope we're not going back to the beginning and doing the origin story again. That's the only thing I don't want to see. Do not give me another origin story for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't need it. Nobody's asking for it. Just go ahead and pick it up somewhere after their origin. If you want to reference the origin at some point, fine. Because you kind of have to in certain stories. I'm fine with that. But I don't know why you would go back and do that again. And if anything else, take a look at what IDW has been doing in the comics lately with Tom Waltz and company. Take a look at that. And you'll understand where you probably need to go with this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated movie. I mean, certainly I'm excited for it. Anytime you get TMNT coming out, I'm going to be excited for it. But at the same time, I'm also a little leery because we keep rebooting this thing over and over and over again. And one of these times, fans are just going to go, you know what? I'm done. So hopefully, this is the time where they really, really get it right and it revives the Ninja Turtles on the screen. Here's something that's going to be coming to the small screen and Amazon has just grabbed another one that's according to Variety that a Fallout TV series is going to be in the works. Yes, based on the popular Fallout games from Bethesda that have been in existence since 1997. It's hard to believe that Fallout's actually been around that long, doesn't it? It just doesn't seem like Fallout's been out that long, or maybe it does if you're a huge fan of the game. Here's the the interesting part about this, is that 
Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, yes, the ones from Westworld, are going to be reducing the, producing this thing under the Kilter Films banner. And the way that Westworld is done, and you try you, you think about that, and you kind of put it into those ideas into Fallout, and that could really, really work. Now, Bethesda Game, Game Studios and Bethesda Softworks are going to be involved in this. As a matter of fact, one of the statements that was put out in the press release was from Todd Howard of Bethesda. So they are going to be involved in the process of this. Apparently, this has been in the works for quite a long time. They've been trying to figure out a way, Howard said, to get Fallout onto the screen somehow, and this is the way that they're going to do that. And you've also got the statement from Nolan and Joy that both that both seem to say, you know, we want to keep this a show that the fans would love. They're going to have some of that B-movie type stuff. They're going to focus a lot on the wasteland itself. And again, this is one of those things where you've got, what, 20, almost 30 years worth of, well, let's say 25, about 25 years worth of game material to go on here. That's a lot. You could pick this up anywhere. This is one where you probably could do an origin thing, but but my thinking is is that you could actually just take the basis of what the game is, right? You could take the basis of what Fallout is all about and make it your own. This is one of those instances where I really do think you could make it your own. Give me some great visuals from the game. Give me the spirit of what the game usually is, but give me your own story. Right, because I don't think we want to see an exact story from like Fallout Three or Fallout New Vegas or anything like that. I don't think we want to see those things play out on the screen. I think we would want something original, wouldn't we? If you've already seen it in the game, I mean, obviously not everybody's played the games, right? And gamers forget that that not everybody has played every game ever in existence, and not everybody loves all of these games and gets to play them all. So. If you did something from the game, not everybody is going to know that. And your general public needs to care about this in order for it to be successful and you to get more things that you want. How many times have I said that on this show? So you technically could, but I really think, especially with Nolan and Joy and what they did with Westworld, I think that they will kind of make it their own a little bit here, but definitely have elements that make it... They actually said subversive, darkly funny... And that those were the st- those were two things right from the statement from Nolan and Joyce. So I got to tell you, I'm really excited to see Fallout brought to Amazon Studios, and and Amazon Studios just keeps swinging for the fences with these licensed properties. They're really going all out. I mean, we're gonna have Lord of the Rings here soon. We're, now we're gonna have Fallout, and there's so many good video game adaptation stuff that's gonna be coming out in the next, let's say, five years if we're lucky with everything that's going on with, with the pandemic and who knows when we're going to get back to filming certain things. I'm excited about everything that we've got coming in. It seems like Hollywood's finally starting to figure out how to make video games adaptable onto television and movies. More so television than movies, I think. I think it's an easier medium to develop a game into. But I can't wait to see what they do with Fallout. Just visually alone, I think it's going to be amazing. So remember when Dark Horse lost the license for Star Wars comics to Marvel and then it was Conan the Barbarian? Well, guess what? It's happened again. It was first reported by IGN that Alien and Predator comics are now going to be going 
to Marvel Comics. This license just moved right on over. Now, the first story is not going to happen until 2021. The collections reprints are going to be a part of this deal as well. We don't know who the creative teams are, but they did have some teaser art from David Finch, which, which I thought was really, really interesting. So I don't know if Finch is going to be... And he actually had a statement talking about how excited he was to draw the characters that was in the press release from Marvel. So to me, that just seems like a little bit of a hint that Finch might be a part of this, and probably not just as a cover artist, right? So you'd think that... And this also includes Alien versus Predator comics as well. I should throw that out there. But I gotta tell you, I'm going to be honest. I just feel bad for Dark Horse at this point. I mean, of course, you, you're excited for the possibilities of what you could see with the Alien and Predator coming over to Marvel. I mean, in one of the teaser images, you've got the Predator with Iron Man's head in his hands. And sure, you see that and you go, okay, yeah, I want to see what would happen if Predator mixed it up with Iron Man. But then you look at Dark Horse and you're like, how much more could they lose here to Marvel as far as licenses are concerned? Now, Dark Horse has plenty of good creator-owned books and things like that, and they do their own thing and they're just fine. They've got some licensed stuff too. They, they do just fine, but at the same time, it's like, my goodness, they just keep losing out to these things to Marvel. And and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. I mean, they, when when they actually released their statement talking about Dark Horse about, about this, of course, they had to release their statement. They wanted to, of course, point out, that, you know, hey, we've still got The Witcher, we've still got Stranger Things, we've still got Avatar, The Last Airbender, Minecraft, and some other stuff. We've still got some good stuff. And, and it's like, okay, yeah, but you just got that stuff, actually. They, I mean, a- Avatar was something that they've just gotten. The Witcher, they, they just got. Stranger Things, they just got in the last couple of years. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but you also look at Dark Horse's licensed properties and you think to yourself, if you lose one more of these, that's going to be trouble. And it's already, you know, the pandemic was already hard enough on some of these, I'll say smaller publishers. I don't want to say indie publishers because apparently that's just a thing that we shouldn't say when we're talking about publishers like Dark Horse. But the smaller publishers, and by that I mean anybody that's not DC or Marvel, was going to get hit by this. And and they did, some more than others, but they absolutely did. So this is not the best time for Dark Horse to be getting the news of losing not one but two licensed properties for books that they put out at least miniseries of on a semi-regular basis. And they even had some crossovers in there as well. Remember we had uh, the Judge Dredd crossing over to Alien vs. Predator. We had Alien vs. Judge Dredd vs. Predator. That, that was a pretty darn good series, I thought. So it wasn't the only thing that they had going. You know, they, they were doing something with these properties, and now not so much. So I'm just to the point where I would feel more bad for Dark Horse losing this license than I am excited for Marvel getting it. And that's not to say I don't think that Marvel will do a good job. I think that they will. But at the same time, it's like, geez, you know, if they would have lost this out to DC, I'm not sure I would have been as upset about it. Or if they would have lost it to, like, Boom Studios or IDW, I'd have been like, okay, but you're losing it to Marvel again. It's like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, how many things you want to take from Dark Horse at this point? But, I mean, at the same time, business is business, right? And we'll see what maybe Dark Horse does in response to this. Maybe they come out swinging and, and come out with something even bigger and better 
in response to this. We'll just see. have to see how it goes. Some quick trailer talk here. Another magical-themed series is going to be coming to Netflix on July the 17th, in case you haven't heard about it. It's Cursed, which is going to star Katherine Langford, who you might know from 13 Reasons Why, and she plays Nimune in this Arthurian legend, basically. It's it's the story from Frank Miller and Thomas Wheeler, in case you're not familiar with with the book that's that, that this is based on. And basically, it's, you know, somebody wants to kill magic. And that's not, I mean, you've seen magic taken away. We've seen the search for magic. This is, let's just kill it. And then we see a very interesting sword come into the mix in this picture. And we see Nimune, and her mom says, bring this to Merlin. And I'm like, whoa, okay, you've got my attention now. You just said Merlin, you've absolutely got my attention. But you could tell in the trailer, this is very much Nimune's story. And she teams up with a mercenary named Arthur. How appropriately. And she's on a mission to save her people. So it's not even just necessarily about saving magic. It's about saving her people. And it doesn't say if she's a witch or a sorceress or exactly how magic flows through her veins as it says in the trailer. But I got to tell you, it looks super, super interesting. The action looks absolutely 100% on point. At one point, they're in a they're in a forest that's just kind of burning all around them. And it's just so, so visually striking. And you, you see who the big bad is, somebody that is not very happy that Nimune has the sword and wants it back. But the sword is apparently the thing that's cursed and apparently it corrupts all who holds it. Now, what that means exactly, we'll have to find out when we watch this series. So, again, magic coming back to Netflix, or maybe not, if somebody kills it, on July the 17th. That is when you're going to be able to see Cursed. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, speaking of magic, let's keep talking about Netflix's The Order. We'll talk to star Jake Manley up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Melanie Scrifano. I play Winona Earp, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Before we get started, really quickly, just a quick spoiler alert for anybody that has not watched Season 2 of The Order on Netflix yet. We do get into a little bit of spoiler-filled territory here. So now here's my interview with Jake Manley from The Order. I know you guys are watching Season 2 of The Order on Netflix. It was a crazy second season. Not that the first season wasn't crazy, but who do you go to when you want the dirt on the season? It's this guy right here who plays Jack Morton. Jake Manley, how you doing, man? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. I mean, Season 2's been out for almost a couple weeks now, and what's the fan response been like for you so far? Oh, it's been super positive. I mean, people seem to really be loving it, like, a lot of fans that enjoyed season one love it even more. And I think it's also gotten a lot of people that have never seen the series involved. Like they're, they've gotten interested and watched uh, both seasons back to back. So it's been extremely positive. I, I, I'm really glad everyone's been loving it. Jake, I want to take you back to when you first found out how season two was going to start. What was your reaction to being paired up with Gabrielle and being all about cheer squad? Oh man, I just laughed. Like the first time I read episodes one and two I was like this is amazing this is gonna be such a fun ride like I love the the comedy in it we had talked about the whole Larisa Pat at the end of season one but it was kind of just an idea so I was glad that uh they ran with that I thought it was hilarious and uh I just couldn't wait to to get going did you know right then that this was just kind of be gonna be kind of a different kind of season I didn't know like right off the top like I knew I knew that Dennis had ideas to 
to take it in different directions, but I didn't know how vast this kind of world would expand to be. Uh, so it was a real treat to kind of just get, you know, these scripts as we were going, because we didn't, we didn't get them all up front. It was just kind of as we were shooting and it was amazing. I was like, wow, this is just like these characters and, and this magic and everything that's, that's going on. I was like, this is, this is so cool. But like, I think the whole kind of team knew that this was, this is going to be a level up from season one, you know, season one was the groundwork establishing everything, but season two is just bananas. It was, it was just like so much fun. No doubt about it. Now, as that season progressed, Jack's motives changed, or at least his, what motivated him changed anywhere. You, were you surprised that he was actually able to let that anger go? Yeah, but I think, I think that like it was necessary in order to kind of, I think that's like a huge, huge part of this character is he just, he's so hindered by this anger and he really wants to get rid of it, which I think is so relatable to, to people in everyday life. Like they carry these, these thoughts and feelings and it's about that quest to, to get rid of them and, and, and move on. So I loved that this character is able to, to be introspective and make traction in that. Cause I just, I think everyone wants to see that they're all rooting for him. Absolutely. Now, the key to that actually might have been the hide that he decided to choose. So, I mean, simple question. Do you think he made the right call? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, I think, like, the Reckless Midnight is, is fun for a while, but I think I think Jack Morton is silverback. He's got that, that moral backbone. So uh, I love that. We talked about how funny season two has been, and while there's still plenty of tension-filled moments, the comedy definitely seems to be ramped up a bit. In season two, did you have a favorite moment or favorite line from this season that still makes you laugh when you think about it? I think that there's that one scene where we all the uh, the knights take a potion to get their memories back, mm-hmm. and Jack remembers that Gabrielle made him get a tattoo, and he kind of exposes it to everyone. That was that was a uh, that was so fun to to film, and and even more fun to like watch kind of everyone together do it. Got to be hard to pick just one though, right? Because there were plenty. Oh man, this yeah, there's. There's so many, it's really hard to pinpoint. Talking to Jake Manley, who of course plays Jack Morton on The Order. Seasons 1 and 2 streaming right now on Netflix. Jake, I want to take you back about a year to Comic-Con. Now, I'd say we missed you, but we did kind of see you virtually at the panel. You might <laughs> remember that you lost your connection during the table read, and Adam actually ended up having to read your lines during the during the table read that they did, so... Did you actually oh go back God, and watch that? Did you watch that after the fact, or have you still not seen it? I still haven't seen that. No, I didn't know. Like, I I never got like sent any any clips from it, and I never found it. But it was kind of I was just hanging in limbo and mystery of, as to what was going on. And I think for me, everything was like pretty clear. But I guess for everyone else, it was really choppy. And so we're getting lots of laughs, but I wasn't I wasn't sure why at the time. And yeah, that was an interesting experience. I wish I could have just been there with everyone. I will say that most of the laps were laps were because of your frozen face. Every time you froze, it was this <laughs> crazy face every time. Oh, I'm sure, sure it was not flattering at all, but that's okay as long as people enjoyed it. I mean, here's the deal, because you actually might have had a chance this season to kind of return the favor because, of course, you know, they take the potion, I mean, and they, you know, they have to take the, the tests for them at some point, but... It was Larisa that got to play Randall. So do you wish you could have had that chance to play Randall instead? No, no, I don't. Because Larisa did such a good job. Like it was, it was so funny. Like she just brought it. That was that was hilarious. So no, I I would never take that moment away because I think she did it justice more than I could have. And I, I like the kind of 
simpler challenge of uh reigning in hamish that was that was fun i think like on on set we we imitate hamish the most anyway so really that's that's an interesting choice yeah no uh he's just he's hilarious and thomas elms who who plays him is uh the best guy ever and he's just so funny in a way that like he doesn't even know he is so it's really funny. He definitely is. Now, Jack and Alyssa's relationship is very deep, but it's also very complicated. What do you think makes the bond so strong between the two of them, regardless of what's going on? Well, I think they have this like undeniable attraction and, and affinity for each other. They want to make it work, but they're just like at opposite ends. They both have such strong morals that they're following. And um, it's just like the classic Romeo and Juliet thing. Like they don't, they're from kind of different worlds and they, they want to try and make it work. But um, I don't know. I think like at the end of the day, they're kind of the only ones that can confide in each other. Like Jack loses his, his grandfather and he doesn't have, you know, much family. So it's just kind of like his, the one person he can like, you know, really connect with. Quick spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't finished season two, but I definitely wanted to ask Jake about this. The scene where, Jack has to powder Alyssa and the tables kind of get turned a bit, especially with how things went when things were the opposite direction in season one. How did that feel? How did that moment feel for you? And you're like, wow, I can't believe that he's now doing this to her. Yeah, that was surprising. And I think that's why I think Jack doesn't specifically do it. It's it's, it's uh, Selena that ends up doing it. And right. my whole thing was like, he, he couldn't even watch. Like I just, I was like, I put, you know, put my head kind of between my legs and he was like ashamed. And yeah, I just think that that would have been like tremendously hard for him to do and hard for him to watch. So, but that's what makes like great, great tension within the, the episode and the story. How does that, how do you think that was for him watching her kind of spiral, spiral out of control as the season progressed? Oh, terrible. Cause like they just flip flop, right? Like he's finally getting on board with the order and, and doing what she used to be, you know, wanting him to do and um, trying to get on that same side. And it's just not working. It's got to be incredibly frustrating and sad. And, you know, Alyssa does this, this, this flip flop and almost becomes the villain to the order. And he's trying to mitigate that between, between Vera and, and her, cause he, he doesn't want her to get hurt. And, I think he's at odds. Speaking of the order, one of the more interesting dynamics for me this season was actually between Jack and Vera. It seems like they both kind of started to see each other a little bit differently as time went on. So do you think that she might actually have more respect for Jack or will Vera always be Vera no matter what? No, absolutely. I think their relationship this season grows so much. They they have a lot of nice, like intimate moments, you know, and they end up, I think, saving each other throughout the season so they definitely have each other's backs like and you know i think maybe vera's motives could be a little more less faithful than than jack so i think they're for me i think there's something underlying there i think there's something that we don't know you know why she's trying to kind of coddle jack whether it's to harness his power or there's some sort of connection we don't know about but yeah i'm not sure it's her intention Interesting, interesting. Okay, these last two questions are for the hardcore fans, anybody that probably binged the whole season in one day. So, spoiler alert here from here on out. Here we go. So, I wanted to get a couple of questions about the finale. And the first one's simple. I mean, given the events 
of that final episode. Where do you think the Knights stand with one another right now? Oh, I think they're kind of they're, they've kind of fallen apart. Like we have Lilith coming back from the demon realm, and and she's changed, obviously. And I mean, Randall has had to commit this this act and, and murder to bring her back. Hamish is into Vera. Jack, like one of the knights has just, just killed Alyssa. So I think they're, they're just like, they've got a big hole in the middle of them. It's, it's going to be interesting where they're going to pick up. I got to say, I did not see the whole Hamish and Vera thing coming. I mean, obviously at a certain point in the season you do, but if you'd have told me at the beginning of the season that Hamish and Vera were going to get together, I, I would have told you you were crazy. How was that for you guys? Oh, it was hilarious. Like, I loved it. Like, as soon as we found out, we're like, yes. It's super funny. And I love their scenes together. I love that, like, dynamic. And, yeah, I think it's hilarious. It's, it's, really good, uh, it's a really good match. Jake, before I let you go, we saw what happened with Alyssa, obviously, in, in the final episode. You know, the ga- we know where Gabrielle is right now. Like you said, Lilith seems to be a huge question mark. So given all of that, what are your hopes for a possible third season? I think Jack is going to do whatever he can to bring Alyssa back. And I think he might have to work with some people that he doesn't want to in order, in order to do that, in order to accomplish that. Yeah. I I think it's going to be a risky task, but um, he's just laser focused on, on doing that. So I think it's going to, it's going to open up a lot of problems for him and everyone else. That's what's called the tease acolytes. If you're wondering where he was walking, (laughs) now you might know, and you'll find out in seasons one and two of the order streaming right now on Netflix. Make sure you're watching it because fingers crossed on a third season because we want this guy back. It's Jake Manley. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Thank you, James. It's been great. You know, Jake said something very interesting that fans are saying that they thought season two was even better than season one. And as somebody who liked season one, I loved season two. You're, he's exactly right. They got the character building, they got the world building, and then they just got to really tell their story and dive in in season two. Season two felt so much more no holds barred than season one did, and it paid off in a big time. Story-wise, comedy-wise, even action-wise, everything just paid off so well in season two. That is what made The Order so successful on Netflix. Really hope I get to announce that there's a season three at some point. And if you haven't watched The Order on Netflix yet, it's an easy binge for seasons one and two. It's 4th of July weekend. Seems like a good weekend to get lost in the magic. That is The Order. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the folks at Netflix and Larisa Tronco and Jake Manley for joining me this week. If you want more about The Order, I actually sat down with the cast at Comic-Con last year. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find those interviews as well and even more stuff about The Order and just more about us in general. Also, follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.